Where you going? No, man, you got the right classroom. Come on in, take a seat beside me, my friend. Hey, look, here come T.A. Charlie. Let's see what he got to say. Morning and happy birthday, Road Dog. You're watching The Road to Concord with Professor Joe Bakanovic. Homeroom is on Rumble. You just go to Rumble and you search the channels for The Road to Concord. It's one word. When you find it, you go ahead and you click follow. Might mean you got to set up an account, but it's fast, it's easy, it's free. I did it, you can do it. For those technologically challenged members of the class, you can also catch us on Facebook, Twitch, and Twitter, and sometimes on YouTube when a professor's not going to get himself censored, mostly just Wednesday. <clears throat> then you can catch the podcast after the show. It's uploaded to Podbean, iHeartRadio, and Spotify, and sometimes BitChute. Just look for The Road to Concord. You can go to the blog page, that's roadtoconcord.com. That's where you find all your show notes, study notes, and handouts for the class. Finally, you can email a professor at joe at the road to concord.com. He's a little slow, but he'll eventually get around. Not today, to I'm on donuts. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He was <laughs> donated today. <laughs> Phones are on today, but only for registered numbers. We only accept calls from regular known classmates. If you wish to call in and are a regular classmate, you may request phone access through an email. If you've called into the show before, you've already received instructions on how to call into the show. If you find our classes helpful, please click the thumbs up, like, subscribe, and share it with those you think could benefit from it. Just warn them. Warn them, especially today he's donated. Joe is an acquired taste. <laughs> This show is listener-sponsored, meaning we do not solicit business advertising. With white frosting and sprinkles. We are not limited in the content we provide for y'all. With that said, we do ask for your participation on a value-for-value basis. If you find our show of value to you, then you provide an equivalent portion of your labor and treasure through the donut link on the Road to Concord blog page, the show description on Rumble, and the comments on the other streams. Hey, we all know T.A. Charlie isn't all there. Now, just stay seated and give it a chance. You'll soon realize we not might be the smartest, but we each independently form opinions based on reason. Yes, Charlie's donated. We're free thinkers. Let's see what the road to Concord with Professor Joe Bakanovic has on the lesson plan for today. Oh, no, it's the Mr. Donut Show. Arr, mateys. We have donuts oh. in the house. Yes, donuts, do. donuts, 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 donuts. This was very easy. <laughs> Gummy Bear, who is Charlie's wife, has been torturing and tormenting me for months. And I tried to tell her, don't do this. And she didn't listen. So I finally told her that I was going to decide how to get her back. And I decided I was just going to cut off the back of her hair when she wasn't looking. And I told her I was going to cut off the back of her hair. And she thinks I'm kidding. And then she realized, no, I'm not kidding. And I'm not, folks. I'm not. I told her hair grows back. It'll be all right. I already got permission from her husband. you know. So. And she's fretting over that because she doesn't want her hair cut off. So I told her, okay, I'll let you out cheap. I just want a dozen donuts. So she went and bought a dozen donuts today. And she kept six. So she gave me six. I'm like, okay, you're half paid up. And her husband ate three. So gummy bear is a very good government. She takes 12, gives you three. Somehow or another, that's supposed to be equal. But I told her, if I don't get all 12 donuts that go in my tummy, 
the hair still gets to go snip snip. So if I get 11 donuts, I still get 11 and a lock of hair. Anyhow, that's how that's going to work. Yes, AI. Isn't some of this Charlie's fault? Yes. He ate donuts, so can't you just kind of like shave the back of his head or something? <clears throat> no, 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 no. The extortion is with Gummy Bear. Oh, darn. That so technically, if Charlie keeps eating the donuts, I, I get at least two donuts a week for a lot longer time. See, this is all a win-win. Yes, John Quest, honor the threat, <laughs> except that I don't make hollow threats and things like this. I will do it. <laughs> and anybody who knows me knows that I'll do this. Because, you know, it's relatively harmless. It just gives her an excuse to go to the beauty parlor and get a haircut. Uh, just much shorter. Insert AI groaning here. <laughs> you be careful, or otherwise we'll tie you down and we'll let Uncle Fester cut your hair off. Well, at least pull it all day long. Anyway, time okay. to I, you know, I don't mess with you that bad. Okay. AI, Charlie, it's stuttering. <laughs> All right. Time to get going. It's throwback Thursday and I am fully donated. See, I put them at my right hand, or at least it looks like right hand to you because the screens were flipped here on this end. So anyway, no big deal. Anyway, um, we're going to be talking about TJ today. Like I used to call him. He's my buddy. You, you, you might know him as Thomas Jefferson. Uncle Fester. <laughs> Class, you know Uncle Fester. You just know him by a different name. He he pops in here from time to time. You just, you, you don't know him as Uncle Fester. So he is a classmate of yours. So y'all can go figure that one out. Thomas Jefferson that you never knew, or at least I'm assuming the bulk of us never knew this Thomas Jefferson because we've been taught a different Thomas Jefferson. Um. Before we get going, I want to warn you on something. TJ wrote voluminously, and I mean a bunch of stuff. We got a couple books here. Here's just one of them. This is his autobiography, and it's his notes on the states of Virginia and some public and private papers and a couple of addresses. And it, look, look, that thing's kind of thick, right? Well, I've read this. And here's another one, the real Thomas Jefferson, some more of his writings. Look, just as thick. And we haven't even scratched the surface yet. I think this man wrote somewhere between 20 and 30,000 essays, letters, reports, whatever. I mean, he just wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. And, wrote. and if you go to your class notes today, the road to concord.com, you know, dot com, and you were going to find that I gave you something today. It's real cool. This is a PDF you can download, and it's only 365 pages long. And it don't even start to cut, scratch the surface. But what it does do for you is it provides a lot of cool little, you know, contextual um, paragraphs and, you know, quotes and stuff from Jefferson, all fully cited. It tells you exactly where they came from, where you can go find them. Now, in some cases, you have to get them out of um, compilations of his writing because those particular letters are in private hands and they're not published to the public. But, uh, TJ, mm, Federalist Papers, for the most part, the Federalist Papers were written by Madison, uh, Alexander Hamilton, and John Jay. Um, Jefferson was in the background of that, but I don't think he, uh-oh, where did it go? Huh. The screen just did some weird things. Charlie must be playing with the computer again. Good googly muggly. What the heck is all of this? Anyway, let's make that go away. 
we're going to start reading some of Thomas Jefferson's quotes, and we'll discuss a few of them as we go, because some of the things I have to share with you. Oh, by the way, also, under each subheading, like this one here, natural law, natural rights, I put all the quotes that I selected in chronological order from oldest to the newest so that you can see some cases you can see the progression of the man's thinking in some cases you can see that it stayed the same from start to finish so yeah we've already answered that question road dog asked that one i already got to that uh, happy birthday road dog happy birthday to him happy birthday to him stop that joe you don't want to be doing his birthday that's the supreme holiday of the satanists what yeah that's that's another show <sighs> I'm on donuts. I not to be held responsible for the things coming out of my mouth today. What is true of every member of society individually is true of them collectively, since the rights of the whole can be no more than the sum of the rights of the individuals. Thomas Jefferson in a letter to James Madison, 1789, which means government is not above any one individual citizen, according to Thomas Jefferson. I like this one. This is good TJ. We got good TJ. We got bad TJ. In my opinion, you're, you're going to find out that Thomas Jefferson is very much in the stoic school of thought, even though he calls himself an Epicurean. You know, we read that quote where he says he's an Epicurean, but he seemed to like the stoics thinking. He is also very progressive. He can justify just about anything he wants, which means if you read enough Thomas Jefferson, sooner or later, you will find Thomas Jefferson in contradiction with himself. So have fun with that. Next quote. It is a principle that the right to a thing gives a right to the means without which it could not be used. That is to say that the means follow their end. What? This is a report on navigation of the Mississippi, 1792. In other words, if you have a right to own a car, you have a right to drive it on the public roads. Whoa, 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 stop, Joe. Driving's a privilege, not according to Thomas Jefferson. And I agree with him here. This is good, TJ, because this is natural law. What good is the right to have your house if you're not allowed to live in it? What good is the right to your life if you're not allowed to live it? Ah, yeah. Well, this is the public roads. The government has to get, no. Do you remember the quote we just read? The government is not above any one individual. So if I cannot prevent you from driving your horse on public land, neither can the government. See, this is real good, TJ. I like this man. Other times, I hate this man. Whoops. Let's go here. Next quote. Uh, we got to tell him to go away. He knows better than to call this time of day. By nature's law, Every man has a right to seize and retake by force his own property taken from him by another by force or fraud. This includes the government, folks. Nor is this natural right among the first which is taken into the hands of regular government after it is instituted. It was long retained by our ancestors. It was a part of their common law, laid down in their books, recognized by all authorities and regulated as circumstances of practice. He just said the government has no right to take anything from you by force, except by which everybody agrees to let it do so. This is the eminent domain clause. So if the eminent domain clause is abused, Jefferson's saying you have a natural right to take it back. The problem is government has become so corrupt that you'll end up getting whacked by the government trying to take back that which it stole. 
but he justifies it right here. Batcher at New Orleans, 1812. Then he says, a right of property in movable things is admitted before the establishment of government. A separate property in lands, not till after the establishment of government. Stop right there. So if it's something that you can pick up and move around, you have a right to that property before government existed. But the only way you can claim right to your property that you live on, you know, everybody says, I get taxed in my property every year. It's like, I don't own it. You don't. And Jefferson is justifying this as part of natural law. And he is correct. Because he'll tell you, nobody owns the earth. Government is instituted to allow you to treat that piece of property as yours as long as you support the government, which allows you to do so, which requires taxes. So what you're actually doing is paying your neighbors for the right to use this piece of the earth as your own. And they recognize that in the way they set up their government. That's what's going on here. So he continues. The right to movables is acknowledged by all the hordes of Indians surrounding us. Yet by no one of them has a separate property in lands been yielded to individuals. He who plants a field keeps possession till he has gathered the produce, after which he has a good right to, as another to occupy it. Government must be established and laws provided before the lands can be separately appropriated and their owner protected in his possession. Till then, the property is the body of the nation, and they, or the chiefs as trustees, must grant them to individuals and determine the conditions of the grant. Batcher of New Orleans, 1812. That is a huge idea right there, folks, that our libertarian friends get wrong. It is perfectly acceptable to tax your property because essentially what you're doing is paying your fellow citizens a license fee. Basically, you're saying, okay, I'm going to give this to the common treasury money every year so that you will respect the rights of my property. This is my piece of this earth that I get to use as my own. And this is the property taxes that I have to pay for that right. Essentially, this is just a civilized way of doing these things so that I don't have to camp out on my property 24-7 to keep you from moving in and taking over. Which, without government, you have right to do. And as long as I'm not growing a crop on it. Or have my house built there. But then, even then, I only need as much property as necessary to keep my house on it. So like with me, where we own five acres, that means you can move in in the back two acres because I got nothing back there. It's just open. You'd be able to move in and use that land because I'm not using it. Jefferson does write this. In your homework, you're going to find pages on property. He does say that. He says, if you're not using it, you have no rightful claim to it, even if you're paying the taxes for it. Because basically what you're doing is taking the ability to sustain one's life away from somebody else who would put that land into profitable use. Then he says, inventions cannot in nature be a subject of property. Society may be given an exclusive right to the profits arising from them as an encouragement to men to pursue ideas which may produce utility, but this may or may not be done according to the will and convenience of society, without claim or co a complaint from anybody, the exclusive right to inventions is given not of natural right, but from the benefit of society. This is a letter to Isaac McPherson. Basically, what Jefferson's saying here is anybody can invent anything. You can't claim that as a natural right. The right to a patent 
or your copyright laws and things like this, that is a product of society. Again, you do not get to claim them as your own without a civilized society. That's what he's telling us. And he is right again. So far, TJ's batting a thousand. It is a moot question whether the origin of any kind of property is derived from nature at all. It is agreed by those who have seriously considered the subject that no individual has, of natural right, a separate property in an acre of land, for instance, but a universal law, indeed, whatever, whether fixed or movable, belongs to all men equally, and in common is the property for the moment of him who occupies it. But when he relinquishes the occupation, the property goes with it. Stable ownership is the gift of social law and is given late in the progress of society. This is 1813. So we see he's got this idea all the way through his life. You only claim the land as a benefit of society. The things that you can pick up and move belong to you for as long as you're using them. This is why it's also right of uh, salvage. If you discard an object and you don't go seek for it or want to reclaim it, if you just throw it away, the next person that finds it and grabs it, it's theirs now because you relinquished it. So this is just natural law. Still batting a thousand. The evidence of the natural right of expatriation, like that of our right to life, liberty, and the use of our faculties, the pursuit of happiness, is not left to the feeble and sophistical investigations of reason, but it is impressed on the sense of every man. We do not claim these under the charters of kings or legislators, but under the king of kings. OMG, did anybody understand what he just said? Let me translate. The evidence of natural rights, like that of our right to life and liberty and everything, is not found through reason. It is impressed on the sense of every man by the king of kings. Folks, that's thoroughly Christian. That is Paul, the book of Romans, chapter 1 and 2. I thought he was a deist. King of kings is not Yahweh. King of Kings is a, Charlie, pop your microphone on real quick. King of Kings is a title that belongs to who? Uh, Yeshua or Jesus. The Messiah, right? Yeah. yeah. So it, it, that means God, right? Yes. <laughs> but there are times when Jefferson questions the deity of Jesus, and yet he yeah. just cited him as God here. Yeah, I can understand that. Okay. Jefferson can be a confused individual throughout his life with matters of religion. You got, or confusing. So folks, you got to be careful with him. But again, he's still batting a thousand because he's right. Thanks, Charlie. He's right with this. You, your rights don't come through reason. And he just said so. They're stamped into your conscience by your creator. Hmm. This was written well after the Declaration of Independence. But if you'll notice, the very first thing I put up here about this in natural law, natural rights, said essentially the same thing. And it was written shortly after the Declaration of Independence. Jefferson always believed this, best I can tell. He never changed his thinkings. All right, let's see a few quotes on liberty. But of all the views of this uh, law, none is more important, none more legitimate than that of the rendering the people safe, as they are the ultimate guardians of their own liberty. For this purpose, the reading in the first stage, where they will uh, receive their whole education, is proposed, as has been, to be chiefly historical. History, by apprising them of the past, will enable them to judge of the future. 
It will avail them of the experience of other times and other nations. It will qualify them as judges of the action and design of men. It will enable them now ambition under every disguise it may assume and knowing it to defeat its views. Notes on the states of Virginia. This should have been under education. I don't I must have missed it up. But this also does kind of apply to liberty. Essentially, what he's telling us here, though, is for educational purposes, we should be teaching people about history. <gasps> Throwback Thursday. We're learning about history from original sources, not from teachers who are telling us what other historians said about what other historians said about the events. We're going to go right to the horsey's mouth. So this should have been under education. And trust me, folks, when I put all of this together, it was not easy. So I must have been half asleep. Sorry. My bad. This was the object of the Declaration of Independence, not to find out new principles or new arguments never before thought of, not merely to say that things which had never been said before, but to place before mankind the common sense of the subject in terms so plain and so firm as to command their assent and to justify ourselves in the independent stand we are compelled to take, neither aiming at or originality or principle of sentiment, nor yet copied from any particular or previous writing, it was intended to be an expression of the American mind and to give the expression the proper tone and spirit called for by the occasion. This is in a letter to Henry Lee on May 8, 1825. And he's telling us that the Constitution, nothing new in it. I mean, the Declaration of Independence, rather, nothing new in it, but not copied from anybody either. And it was just to express the American mind. And he said it was done in terms so plain and so firm, meaning forceful, that you have to agree with it. <laughs> until the progressive party comes along and says, nah, they didn't mean that. Yeah, they did. Mm. He just said so. Anyway, government. We're going to be here for a few minutes. The Republic is the only form of government which is not eternally at open or secret war with the rights of mankind. Thomas Jefferson, a letter to William Hunter, March 11th, 1790. Now, if you read in your homework, you're going to find where he says democracy is the perfect republic, but it's only practical in small towns. As soon as you get outside of a small community, that's not good anymore. Then you need the rep re representative republic. Jefferson knows, in a sense, with the idea that democracy is, is the tyranny of the masses. He understands that. But if you go to your homework, when you go to, you scroll down, you're going to find, you know, consent of the, of the majority. And he says that it is my pretty much my duty to consent to the will of the majority until, you know, they come around to their senses and realize they're wrong. Problem is that puts him at odds with the idea that he has a right to his own opinions and his own conscience, even if the majority says he doesn't. So this is where Jefferson goes against Jefferson. It's one of these cases. And that's one of the cases where his batting average starts to suffer here. Um, and it's because he's reasoning with a handicapped sense of who the boss is. You know, the boss is the king of kings. But sometimes um, Jefferson likes to give too much credit to reason and reason alone. That's the stoic in him. So you, this man is very complicated, folks. It's taken me a lifetime of reading him off and on throughout the years. And I mean 30-something plus, 35-plus years, almost 40 now where I've been reading Jefferson and I still don't have everything I need to know or understand about this man. He, he can be vexing sometimes. His next quote, 
all too will bear in mind that a sacred principle that though the will of the majority is in all cases to prevail, that will to be rightful must be reasonable. That the minority possess their equal rights with equal law must which equal law must protect and to violate would be oppression. Thomas Jefferson, first inaugural address, March 4th, 1801. See, he says the majority gets what they want, but they have to do so reasonably. They cannot oppress the, the minority. You see, this is a self-contradicting statement. He says the minority possesses equal rights, so the law must protect them. Otherwise, it's oppression. Well, that's fine, but the majority can vote for oppression. And when you dig into his writing, he doesn't really have a way to object to this because he takes both sides of this argument. Here's where TJ starts to really lose ground with me. He's trying to concede to the idea of democracy, democracy. But he knows darn well it's about protecting the rights of the individual, even if that minority is one. So this is where the pull of the popularity of a, an idea causes him to lose his compass gets off course. Somebody set a magnet next to it, public opinion. And he'll write against that. Don't be swayed by public opinion. Yet it seems to be that that's exactly what happened to him because he knows in other writings, Jefferson knew that that um, democracy was not a virtuous and moral way of governing. His next quote says, the care of human life and happiness and not their destruction is the first and only legitimate objection of good government or object rather of good government. This is a letter to the Republican citizens of Washington County, Maryland, March 31st, 1809. The care of human life and happiness. Now understand happiness is virtue. He knows this. If you read his letters and your homework, you're going to see that he knows that the pursuit of happiness is a is virtue. This is Stoicism and Epicureanism. It's not necessarily physical comfort. It's the moral and virtuous life. And he says so in other writings. So not their destruction. Oh, boy. What's abortion? Well, they're not human. Well, that's not the happiness. That's That's not virtuous. So you're not only destroying human life, you're also destroying virtue. And he says, that's not the goal of government. Well, let's tax these 49% of the population to feed the 51%. Well, that's the destruction of human life. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. You're destroying the 49%'s ability to provide for their own. And you're trampling virtue in the process. When you understand the principles he's espousing here and you apply them to what we see in our world today, we have a tyrannical and oppressive government. And it's not good government anymore. Not according to Jefferson. But yet, somehow, if you read around long enough, the progressives like to claim Jefferson as their ally. I don't think Jefferson would agree with them. Eh, problem is he's easily twisted. That's why we're reading him today. John Quest, we contend that for a nation to try to tax itself into prosperity is like a man standing in a bucket and trying to lift himself up by the handle. Benjamin Franklin. Yes, John. And Ben Franklin is another very good one. There is a He wrote as much as Jefferson did. And he's also just as confused. And if you do not put Franklin and Jefferson's writing into the context of their life from youth to old age, 
you will misunderstand where they ended up before they died. These two men are very complicated individuals and it's, and that's because they're brilliant, which is part and parcel with genius. They, they, they are complicated. Geniuses are a muddled mess. Everyone I've ever encountered, but not only are they brilliant and since they write so much, and since they're so different men between their youth and their older age, it's easy for the people who want to claim the patriotic mantle of the founders to use their words to manipulate modern understanding of the past. And that's what's going on. If you actually get into a lot of Jefferson's writings, he's not the man that the let the American left thinks he is or tries to tell you he is. That's why, you know, today let's meet TJ. Um, Gritech 11 comment on the board would not TJ allow the local democracy parallel in sense Yahweh consenting to appointing a king over Israel when they asked for it. Yes, he would for a local, for your village, for your township. Yes, he would. Yes. And no problem with that. But he says, as soon as you get to like maybe a county level or definitely the state democracy don't work anymore because you're not going to allow one half of a state plus a county tell the other half minus a county how to live because that tramples on. But then again, he just said, yeah, well, we got to do that. But no, we can't do that. But yeah, we got to. But no, we can't. And that's where TJ gets into a feedback loop. He says, that doesn't work, but yeah, we got to do it. And yes, go read your homework on this one. You know, you scroll through it. You'll see the major sections. You're going to run into this when you get to democracy. And it, he can be infuriating there. It's brilliant man got himself caught between two ideas, the law and the constitution. I consider the foundation of the constitution is laid on this ground that all powers not delegated to the United States by the constitution, nor prohibited by it to the States are reserved to the States or to the people to take a single step beyond the boundaries. Thus, especially, uh, specially drawn around the powers of Congress is to take possession of boundless field of power, not longer susceptible of any definition. This is opinion on the uh, constitutionality of a national bank in 1791. Um, if you understand this comment, what he's telling you is the government was told specifically what it can and cannot do. And it is not permitted to reinterpret it into greater power than that, which is what we've done. So that's how he understood the Constitution. And we'll see that he reiterates this over and over again throughout his life. They are not to do anything they please to provide for the general welfare, but only to lay taxes for that purpose. In other words, don't expand the general welfare clause, which is exactly what we've done. To consider the latter phrase not as describing the purpose of the first, but as giving a distinct and independent power to do any act they they please, which may be good for the union, would render all the preceding and subsequent enumerations of power completely useless. In other words, a plain reading of the document tells you that they're only supposed to do these specific things. But if you say the good of the nation, you know, the good of the general welfare clause supersedes them, then why even put the enumerations in there? That's what he's pointing out. In other words, to read the Constitution the way we do today is to self-contradict the Constitution itself, to make this Constitution self-contradictory, an absurdity. Jefferson's right here. He said, it would if we did it this way, he said, it would reduce the whole instrument to a single phrase, that of instituting a Congress with power to do whatever would be for the good of the United States. And as they sold judges of the good or evil, it would be also a power to do whatever evil they please. Certainly no such universal power was meant to be given to them. 
It was intended to lace them up straightly within the enumerated powers and those which, without which, as means, these powers could not be carried into effect. Opinion on the national banks again in 1791. He's writing against the po Congress's power to is establish a, a national bank. Right, well, that's what's going on in this period of time. But what he is rightfully pointing out is that the Constitution does not permit what we've allowed it to become. Now, you go to your homework and scroll all the way down to the section on duty. I didn't quote much of that. Oh, boy, is he going to eviscerate the majority of us? Because I could easily use Jefferson's words against any progressive today that likes to use him to say, look, you know, we're not Christian and Jefferson didn't believe in this and Jefferson didn't believe in that. I'd be like, yeah, but Jefferson said we should be at, at war with you right now, overthrowing you. And that the militia is the armed body of every male citizen who should every able-bodied male should be trained in military disciplines because you're, you are the truest bulwark of protection of this country. So that when we get a government like you progressives have designed, the people can come grab you by the back of the neck, take you outside, try you, and then hang you from a tree. Yeah, there's a reason I didn't quote all those quotes because that's pretty much what Jefferson says. Remember the Jefferson option. You got to water the tree of liberty with the blood of patriots from time to time. Patriots and tyrants. Hmm. Anyway, I gave you the homework. You can look this up at your own leisure. Coming on the board from Sailor Sun 66. Supporter finally happened in 1913 with the creation of the Federal Reserve. Yes, it did. Yep. Next comment. The Constitution on which our union rests shall be administered by me as president according to the safe and honest meaning contemplated by the plain understanding of the people of the United States at the time of its adoption. A meaning to be found in the explanations of those who advocated, not those who opposed it, and who opposed it merely lest the construction should be applied, which they denounced as possible. Thomas Jefferson, a letter to Monsieur Eddie Russell uh, Thurber, Wheaton, and Smith, March 27, 1801. <laughs> And you do give deference to those who opposed it only in as much as they complained, this is how the argument, you know, the document might be construed. In other words, you use the anti-federalists to properly understand the federalists argument. And that's how he was going to be president. Oh my gosh. I wish we could have a president like that today. Problem is once in office, he didn't do that. I consider the government of the United States as interdicted by the Constitution from intermeddling with religious institutions, their doctrines, disciplines, or exercises. This results not only from the provision that no law shall be made respecting the establishment of a free exercise of religion, but from that also which reserves to the states the powers not to delegate to, not delegated to the United States. Certainly, no power to prescribe any religious exercise or to assume authority in any religious discipline has been delegated to the general government. It must then rest with the states. Thomas Jefferson, letter to Samuel Miller, January 23rd, 1808. Why is this important? This tells you that the constitutional power to make a, a, you know, a state religion lies with the state, not the federal government. This clarifies the understanding of the First Amendment, at least in his mind, and he's correct. If you go read the, the notes on the deliberations for the Bill of Rights, the folks who won the argument, like Jefferson just got done saying, 
they won the argument. This is how you're supposed to understand the First Amendment. Well, if I go do that, the First Amendment was meant to protect all denominations of Christianity only, period. It was not meant to separate your religion from your, your public life. It, it was never intended that you have to act like a secularist when you're in government. Never intended. And if you go in your homework, you're even going to find one comment about that long. It's a whole paragraph in which Jefferson explains that the federal government will make its libraries available to any and all denominations. Well, that's that's allowing that's allowing religion into the federal government. This is Thomas Jefferson, Mr. Separation of Church and State. Yeah, but this is also Thomas Jefferson, Mr. I'm going to establish religious services in the Capitol building every Sunday, and then I'm going to attend them every Sunday. We wouldn't be able to do that today. It was open religious service. Anybody living in the area could come to church in the Capitol building. Real religions with different ministers every Sunday from different denominations. That's Mr. Jefferson. Maybe we've been told wrong about his ideas of religion and government. There's a huge section on that in your show notes. You can go read that at your leisure should you want to do so. My bad, I didn't mean to do that. Let's go to the next quote. My construction of the Constitution is very different from that of than from that you quote. It says it is that each department is truly independent of the other and has an equal right to decide for itself what is the meaning of the Constitution in the case submitted to its action, and especially where it is to act ultimately and without appeal. A letter to Samuel Adam Wells, May 12, 1819. In other words, what he's saying is, if the executive doesn't like the law and has to enforce it and thinks it's unconstitutional, the president can declare it unconstitutional without judiciary's approval. And so can the Supreme Court, but so can the Congress. They're equal, not only in their exercise and authority, but also in their interpretation of the Constitution. That's how Jefferson understands, understands this. I have a little newsflash for you folks. If you go read James Madison, that's exactly how he understood it too and how he explained it, which means according to Jefferson's way of thinking, that's how we should establish it today. And yet we've let the judiciary become the sole arbiter of what is and isn't constitutional. Something Jefferson said would lead to our destruction. Oh, he's a prophet in that case, but we'll see. We'll get to that. Next comment about the Constitution. The true key for the construction of everything doubtful in a law is the intent of the lawmakers. This is most safely gathered from the words, but may be sought also in extraneous circumstances provided they do not contradict the expressed words of the law. Thomas Jefferson, a letter to Albert Gallatin, May 20th, 1808. What's he saying? He's saying it is the intent that the lawmakers left for you in the record. That's the way to understand the law. You read the language of the law in the context of what they were trying to do. First Amendment, what were they trying to do? They wanted to get religion entirely out of government and make a secular... Nope, no, not what they said. They wanted to make sure that the federal government didn't tell the whole nation they had to be one denomination or another. That was it. They were trying to protect the right of conscience. That was it. They said so. Well, the Second Amendment was, no. The Second Amendment was all about establishing the militia. 
which was clearly defined as every able-bodied military-aged male, not in the military. You read uh, some of the comments that Jefferson writes on the militia. And he says, this is the beauty of the militia, is that it can withhold the enemy long enough to establish the regulars and get them in the field. In other words, the militia can hold off any invasion long enough to establish the military, get the military raised up and put them into proper action so that this nation didn't need a standing army. We've gotten away from that. That's what the Second Amendment was for. The people who wrote it said so. They also said that this means the people have the right to, to keep any and every weapon, terrible weapon of the normal average soldier of the day. That included cannons, battleships. It included Gatling guns if you could make one. It included any military weapon, offensive or defensive. So in other words, if I could afford it and I wanted to walk around in full battle rattle like a special forces operative with radio and GPS and night vision goggles and full body armor, et cetera, et cetera, that's protected under the Second Amendment because that's what the people who wrote it said it meant. It also means that the right to quarter troops is not about making the soldiers live in your house. It's about spying which means that the new law that they just passed that lets the FBI snoop on any of my communications through a FISA warrant or whatever the heck they call that is unconstitutional and doesn't even need to go to the court. The president, if we had a real one, could just say, heck, heck on that. If I catch you doing an FBI, I'm going to put you in jail. But, you know, this is just TJ's opinion. Also happens to be Madison's and the Federalist Papers opinion. But, you know, what do we care about them? Laws are made for men of ordinary understanding and should, therefore, be construed by the ordinary rules of common sense. Their meaning is not to be sought for in metaphysical subtleties which may make anything mean everything or nothing at pleasure. Thomas Jefferson, letter to William Johnson, June 12, 1823. In other words, laws are not to be meant read in legal beagleese. They're supposed to be read by the average eighth grader and mean what they say as the average eighth grader would understand it. And if you wrote them in legal legalese, then they mean anything and they mean nothing all at the same time, in which case Jefferson would also tell you they're not a law. And I would agree. But, you know. He says, on every question of construction, carry ourselves back to the time when the Constitution was adopted. Recollect the spirit manifested in the debates, and instead of trying what other meaning may be squeezed out of the text or invented against it, Conform to the probable one in which it was passed. Thomas Jefferson, letter to William Johnson, June 12th, 1823. Which means Jefferson is telling John freaking Dewey to go pound sand. You have to understand the Constitution as it was meant to be understood by the men who wrote it and ratified it. And if you want to change its meaning, you must amend it. Go to your homework, scroll down to amending the Constitution, and you will find several pages of commentary on that process. And where Woodrow freaking Wilson laments the fact that it takes so long to amend the Constitution that nothing ever gets done, Jefferson says, well, educate them better then. He doesn't say speed it up or find a way around it. He says just teach the people better then so you can reason with them better. And if you still can't do it, that's what democracy, democracy, democracy is all about. So he's not sympathetic with Mr. Wilson. 
Comment on the board from John Quest. Unfortunately, they no longer read or teach the history, this history in school. No, they don't. So with each generation, we get further and further away from original meaning like we have in the scriptures. Yes, exactly what Wilson and John freaking Dewey wanted to do. Yes. Like I said, I'm going to introduce you to a TJ that most of you did not know. I'm, I'm assuming most of you didn't know. All right. Taxes. Oh, this one's going to be fun because he writes pages on this. Montesquieu wrote in the spirit of laws, uh, volume 13, CC 14, whatever. A capitation is more natural to slavery. A duty on merchandise is more natural to liberty. By reason, it has not, not so direct a relation to the person. This is copied into his commonplace book. Jefferson has a book of things that he writes down that he gets from other people. And he calls it a commonplace book. What's he writing here? Montesquieu is saying personal income tax is slavery. Yay, Jefferson, I agree. So does Montesquieu. But what he's saying is consumption tax. That doesn't have as much to do with the controlling of the human that, that's spending his money. So basically, we should fund every piece of government through sales taxes. Problem is, given our government, there'd be 150% sales tax on everything we do. But that might work too. It would get you to buy fewer things, which is not necessarily a bad thing. And to use the barter system a whole heck of a lot more than you do right now, which they didn't try to tax that too. But anyway, taxes should be proportioned to what may be annually spared by the individual. Thomas Jefferson to James Madison in 1784. <laughs> what can be spared by the individual? Nothing. I can't spare anything to you. Well, he'd be against that too. But what he's telling us is that the taxes should be not, not be orn, o, onerous. He also says, another means of silently lessening the inequality of property is to exempt all from taxation below a certain point and to tax the higher portions of property in geometrical progressions as they rise. Another letter, you know, same letter, James Madison, 1785. What did he just say? He said, well, you know, we won't tax anything up to the poverty level, but after that, we're going to put a progressive income tax into place. And the more you own, the more we'll tax you. And I'm not quoting the other one he puts in there that, you know, we've just, uh, he justifies this, another longer quote we've read before. That's why I'm not using it. None of the quotes you're reading today, you've never read them. You've never heard me read them before on the show. These are all new, every one of them. Yep. I've told you before, I could do this all day long. And with Jefferson, I could do this all year long and never repeat a You'll think it's all new and eventually you'll start hearing rhymes and, you know, oh, he said that before. Well, not quite that way. That's Jefferson. That's all the founding fathers. But in Jefferson's case, he once wrote, you know, that if you don't like the fact that if you make more, you get taxed more, get the heck out of here. Go live with the Indians. And Ben Franklin said the same thing. So all you right-wing conservatives who think that there's a problem with that and it should be the same percentage, Jefferson would be against you. Hmm. See, I told you TJ can be complicated. Didn't believe me, did you? Using, for instance, the table of M. de Buffon, it can be determined that the half of those of 21 years and upwards living at any one instance of time will be dead in 18 years, 8 months, or say 19 years as the nearest integral number. Then 19 years is the term beyond which neither the representatives of a nation nor even the whole nation itself assembled can validly extend a debt. With respect to future debts, 
would it not be wise and just for a nation to declare in its constitution that neither the legislature nor the nation itself could validly contract more debt than may be paid within its own age or within the term of 19 years, and that all future contracts shall be deemed void as to what shall remain of unpaid at the end of 19 years from that date. A letter to James Madison, 1789. What's he saying? He's using a sociology study of the time that shows you that if you're 18 years old when you pass a bill that's going to borrow money, you can expect to be dead within 19 years, half the population dead within 19 years. So he's saying, because this goes to his principle that the dead cannot dictate to the living. So he says, as soon as it is not possible for the generation that incurred that debt to be in a majority, they can no longer demand that those people coming after them pay that debt. Jefferson would basically say, you know what? All you hammer knockers that accrued this $21 trillion in debt, when you geezers die, debt dies with you. We don't know it. We just wash our hands of it. This is huge. This is also where he gets the number 19, which incidentally is a number that rhymes in the scriptures. Uh, pay no attention to that. But this is the generation. This is 19, 20 years old. And this is why he said no law should survive more than 19 years old. No constitution should survive more than 19 years. You'll find that in your homework too. You go through that. He thinks that we should have to renew our national or at least reaffirm it every 19 to 20 years so that the dead do not drive the living. Taxes should be continued by annual or biannual reenactments because a constant hold by the nation of the strings of the public purse is a salutary restraint from which any honest government ought not wish nor a corrupt one to be permitted to be free. What? In other words, we should have to reinstate every tax every year or every six months. In other words, no income tax is the way we've written the law. The IRS should not exist because the Congress should have to write the new law every year. You should not be allowed to, okay, this is how we're going to do taxes and then let it run for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years. That's what he's saying. He is correct. This is a letter to John Wales Epps, June 24, 1813. He says, to take from one, because it is thought his own industry and that of his father's has acquired too much, in order to spare to others who, or in whose fathers, have not exercised equal in industry and skill, is to violate arbitrarily the first principle of association, the guarantee to everyone the free exercise of his industry and the fruits acquired by it. This is a letter to Joseph Milligan, April 6, 1816. And what the heck did he just say? In other words, to tax somebody simply because they have wealth, because they and their father worked hard for it and acquired it, to give it to somebody who didn't work as hard and weren't as smart with what they had and didn't don't have as much money is a violation of the first principle of natural law and of the government's right, uh, duty to protect everybody's what they've earned, their property. So what he's saying is what we're doing right now in this country is a violation of natural law, which is a law instituted by the King of Kings. In other words, it's immoral. It's a sin. He doesn't say it this way, but if you apply logic to what he says throughout the bulk of his papers, that's exactly where you get. And he kind of does say it. He says it's against the first principle of association. That's a natural right. We've covered that before on this class. And it also is a violation of government. I get rid of my donuts. <laughs> For example, 
if the system be established on basics of income and his just proportion on that scale has been already drawn from everyone to step into the field of consumption and tax special articles in that as broadcloth or homespun wine or whiskey, a coach or a wagon is doubly taxing the same article for that portion of income from which these articles are purchased, having already paid its tax as income to pay another tax on that thing if purchased is paying twice for the same thing. It is an aggrievance on the citizen who use these articles in exoneration of those who do not, contrary to the most sacred of the duties of government, to do equal and impartial justice to all citizens. Letter, I so agree. Yes, letter to Joseph Milligan, April 6, 1816. What he's saying is if you're going to have an income tax, this should be no sales tax. So there should not be a federal sales tax since we have a federal income tax. And if there's going to be a state income tax, there should be no sales tax. And you shouldn't have what's called transaction taxes. Exactly. If you buy a new vehicle, you pay the tax on it. And when you sell it again, there should be no taxes due. It was already exactly. paid for. Exactly. So I shouldn't have to, like when I'm on eBay selling something I've already bought and pay taxes for when I bought it. Now I got to pay taxes when I sell it. And the people who buy it have to pay taxes again. Well, that item's already been taxed. Folks, you don't understand the level at which you are being fleeced, even the poor. You might think you do. Folks, you have no idea to what level you're being taxed. The founding fathers would have been shooting long ago over this. And they would have had almost unanimous consent within the body of the American people at that time. We're going to hold up here. Because Boy, our comments are with me today, too. <laughs> <laughs> when uh, when we come back, we, we, we might go to the break just a few minutes early, but the courts, who doggy, to quote Jed Clampett, when we get TJ onto the courts or the idea of banking, you better buckle up buttercup because he gets rough. And in some cases, he gets harsh languaged. I left those out today. Jefferson was not above using, he doesn't cuss, but he's kind of like, you know, Jesus, you nest of vipers and whitewashed tombstones, you know, tombs, sepulchers. I mean, he, he can get vicious in civil language terms. I've left most of those out today. They are in your homework. You can go look them up. You've only got 300 and almost 380 pages to read through if you want to go read his quotes, <laughs> but they're all in full context and tell you where to find it. Um, that's TJ. And the 360-something, remember, that's just the tip of the iceberg, baby. This man is very complicated. Very. Again, I cannot drive this home enough. You must take the quote and put it into the period of his life in which it comes from. What time period? Because the best thing, if you want to understand Thomas Jefferson, the best thing to do is, this is the original book. This is by David Barton. This is the Jefferson Lies. This will expose all the lies that the progressives in this country have told you. The subtitle is Exposing the Myths You've Always Believed About Thomas Jefferson. Well, Jefferson had a, an illegitimate child with his black slate. No, he didn't. No, he did not. We know he didn't. How do you know that? Because he was in France when she got pregnant. What? Yeah, that should have been real easy for people to figure out. I, it, look, ladies. I don't mean to be too crass or crude here, but if Jefferson got that young lady pregnant while he was in France, you know what I'm saying? That's pretty big because that's a long distance to reach. 
the progressives made them pull this book because they didn't like the way he, that David Barton worded something. So he came out and he rewrote it. It doesn't change anything. It's all documented. It tell you everything. These will help you understand Jefferson. Like he dies at the, his wife dies rather when he's 33 years old, right around the time of writing of the, uh, of the declaration of independence, right in that area. He wrote, writes that when he's 33, his wife dies that same, you know, his, that same year. And that is a profound effect on him in his life. And it, it puts him into a period in his life where he questions religion and he's mad at God. A lot of people go through this. By the time he's older, that questioning's gone and he's back in church and he's back with, you know, he's caught up in the Unitarian movement. Not all past gets a heaven, you know, all gods are the same. Not that Unitarian movement. They're questioning the the Trinity, the idea of the Trinity within the Catholic Church and you know, Christian churches. There is a movement in the in the United States, the colonies at that time, that they're just that's where your questioning of a divinity comes from with him. But toward the end of the show, I'm going to show you some quotes on him from religion. He's very different from what you might think. In a lot of ways, he's a better Christian than most of us today. In other ways, he's not Christian at all. But he follows the God of the Bible. And you'll see that in his own words. But when we come back, we're going to get into the courts. Oh, boy, this is going to be fun. And uh, we'll see you in six minutes. We'll take off just a little early. I'm going to redonate because we saved one for me and one for Charlie. So we'll be still on the sugar jazz when we come back. And then we'll get right back into the courts with TJ. We'll see you in six.
So, comment on the board from Road Dog says he sees a vision of Joe and Charlie scarfing down a bag of donuts before the time runs out. Bag my booty. That's those little powdered things that are only about that big, and you can eat five in a bite if you're really trying hard. At least any grown man should be able to eat four of them in one bite. We're talking about boxes of donuts, Road Dog. Get it right, man. If I could get my booty to Disney where they do those Joffrey's donuts that are like seven, eight inches in diameter, now that's a donut. And then we've got this comment on the board from Jimmy Zinker. It says, DNA tests should have put that to rest. The problem with Jefferson and the DNA tests, which they have done, is that it is somebody, somebody in Jefferson's family did get the young lady pregnant. And when they do some work on that, it is most likely his brother. Because there seems to be some anecdotal evidence that his brother was sweet on that girl. And that they kind of somehow or another remained connected after the child was born. So the book goes into that in great detail. And uh, it also tracks a lot of other things about Thomas Jefferson. It's real, well worth the read. Um, I like the original book better because this is the one that he had to kind of sanitize a little bit so that the, he wouldn't get sued. He did nothing wrong with the first book. There was nothing that not, wasn't factual in it. This was a big scarf back then when it was published. There was nothing wrong in there. None of it. It, it was just it was a way of silencing him lawsuits that would have gone nowhere but you still have to pay to defend them so they pulled it and they rewrote it and they put it back out and they really didn't change much of anything it's almost word for word identical and if you have the pdfs of both of them and you put them over top of each other you'll see that so anyhow back to tj in the courts <laughs> the opinion which gives to the judges the right to decide what laws are constitutional and what not not only for themselves in their own sphere of action, but for the legislature and the executive also in their sphere would make the judiciary a despotic branch. This is a letter to Abigail Adams in September 11th, 1804, John Adams' wife. So basically what he's saying is the judiciary we have today is a despotic branch. He is correct. None of his criticisms about the courts are wrong. In my opinion, problem is in this case he's applying the blowtorch of pure logic and he's using definitions the constitution is a mere thing of wax in the hands of the judiciary which they may twist and shape into any form they please thomas jefferson letter to judge Ro spencer roan september 6 1819 in other words well, I'm supposed to review the Constitution, you know, as the Supreme Court Chief Justice, but I'm going to grab this here letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote that says that I've got no authority whatsoever. Well, Congress has got no authority to mess with religion in any way, shape, or form, and if they don't make a law, the Supreme Court's got no right in it at all either. But we're going to take this letter, turn it upside down, and say that that means that we've got a right to uh, say that you've got to keep uh, secular government and religion all the way out of it which is what they did. And that's exactly what Jefferson's saying. And what should have happened is every judge that voted for that separation of church and state clause thing with his letter from, to the Danbury Baptist Church, they should have grabbed those justices that voted in favor of that ruling, taken them outside, impeached them, convicted them, got them out of court, defrocked them, and let them dance on a rope because that was sedition. <gasps> No, Joe, it wasn't, because it wasn't an armed force. You're right. It was subversion, which is the same thing in my book. It's still an attack on the country. But, you know, I can't be advocating the dancing of judges. I'll get myself banned. And hence, we're not on YouTube today. 
says the judiciary of the United States is the subtle core of sappers and miners constantly working underground to undermine the foundations of our confederation, confederated fabric. They are construing our constitution from a coordination of general and special government to a general and supreme one alone. Letters to Thomas Ritchie, December 25th, 1820. In other words, they're taking away the enumerated powers and everything else and putting it all back under one authority, theirs. So he does not like the courts. That's actually very harsh language right there in their day and age. The great object of my fear is the federal judiciary. That body, like gravity, ever acting with noiseless foot and unalarming advance, gaining ground step by step and holding what it gains, is engulfing insidiously the special governments into the jaws that which feeds them. A letter to Judge Spencer Roan again, March 9, 1821. That's also harsh language right there, but what he's describing there is progressivism, step by step, holding what it gains, and engulfing insidiously the special governments into the jaws of that which feeds them. It has long been my opinion, and I have never shrunk from its expression, that the germ of dissolution of our federal government is in the constitution of the federal judiciary, an irresponsible body. For impeachment is scarcely a scarecrow, working like gravity by night and by day, gaining a little today and a little tomorrow, and advancing it noiselessly, step like a thief over the field of uh, jurisdiction, until all shall be irrespect from the state and the government and be consolidated into into one. To this I am opposed. Jefferson to Charles Hammond, 1821. In other words, impeachment's not a threat to those people because we never do it. So why would they stop? And where you have the most strongest part of our government right now is in the court, which is also where Woodrow freaking Wilson's boys focused in the courts because they can change a law just by reinterpreting its language, something Jefferson said they would do. And in this case, Jefferson's a prophet. Courts. At the establishment of our Constitution, the judiciary bodies were supposed to be the most helpless and harmless members of the government. Experience, however, soon showed in what way they were to become the most dangerous, that this insufficiently of the means provided by their removal gave them a freehold and irresponsibility in office. In other words, it's too hard to get rid of them. That their decisions, seeming to concern individual suitors only, pass silent and unheeded by the public at large, that these decisions nevertheless become law by precedent, in other words, common law, sapping by little and little the foundations of the Constitution in working its change by construction before anyone has perceived that this invisible and helpless worm has been busily employed in consuming its substance. In truth, man is not made to be trusted for life if secured against all liability to account. This is a letter to Monsieur A. Corey, October 31, 1823. What is Jefferson saying? Again, progressively, the courts will just destroy the Constitution by setting a starry decisis. What he said is what will happen is instead of the laws running the country, starry decisis will run it. And dead judges, through the precedence of their ruling, will dictate to the future how you have to interpret that law. And they will do so through the twisting of the language. It's dictatorship. It is exactly what happened. I would not personally be surprised if Woodrow freaking Wilson and the boys weren't reading through Jefferson's letters saying, 
dang, man, this guy's got a great idea. Let's go do that. It's when you look back at the history, it's almost like what they did. It's like, man, Jefferson told us how to destroy this country. Cool beans, man. Let's go do it. And they did. One of the, you know, we talk about term limits. You know what one of the best things you could do right now is? Make it easier to get rid of a judge. And I mean, make it easy. Something that happens, you know, regularly. Not a month go by without a judge being tossed on their butt. That's what we should do. Well, Joe, you'll remove good and bad. I don't give a rat's rip. Just make it easy to get rid of them. Or, better yet, every four years, put the Supreme Court up on the ballot and let the people vote for them. I mean, what the heck? Of course, they'll rig that too, but, you know, what we got right now ain't working. Just like Jefferson said it wouldn't. He weren't wrong. Human nature. (laughs) There's some good ones here too. Algernon Sidney wrote in his Discourses Concerning Government in Section 2, Paragraph 8. He says, Those who have no sense of right, reason, or religion have a natural propensity to make use of their strength to the destruction of such as are weaker than they. This is Thomas Jefferson copied into his commonplace book, so we don't know what date this is. What's he saying here? You have no sense of right and wrong, no morality. You have no reason, and you have no religion. He didn't mark this up. He mentions reason, but he marks this to sense of right, which he has previously in his life said comes from the king of kings and, you know, stamped into your conscience. You have no religion. You have no religious law to tell you what's right and wrong. And maybe you don't even have reason, right reasoning. That's the stoic in him. So you have a natural propensity to just basically be a tyrant. Folks, this is... (laughs) This is being given over to your own delusions, your own pervity, your depravity. This is Romans 1 and 2. This is Romans 1 and 2. So even if he doesn't recognize it, Jefferson is quoting Paul, paraphrasing him. And Paul got that from the Old Testament. He says, I think our government will remain virtuous for many centuries as long as they are chiefly agricultural, and this will be as long as there shall be vacant lands in any part of America. When they get piled upon one another in large cities, as in Europe, they will become corrupt, as in Europe. Letter to James Madison, 1787. Again, prophet, right? No. Student of human nature and natural law. And a man who at least in large part could do the math correctly. And go, yep, I see that one coming. I do this quite often. A lot of people I know do this quite often. We're not brilliant geniuses. We're not prophets. We've just studied human nature, history, and natural law. We put it all in a hopper, shake well, you know, do our little witch dance, dance around, shake your juju beads, say your magical incarnation words, do the math, and out comes, yep, this is where we're heading. You know, like in 2012, when I predicted that we were following the path of 1930s Germany right toward fascism. Well, congratulations today, boys and girls. We call it public-private partnership, and we did exactly what I said in 2012 we were going to do. And then I found another uh, letter earlier this week from somebody that I've once followed. I've, I've got it saved. It might show up on Manic Monday saying, look, man, I'm a prophet. I predicted this back in 2012. I'm like, yeah, a lot of us did. None of us are prophets. We're just students of history and human nature. We saw the writing on the wall. Well, Jefferson was... Older than me, 
by a couple hundred years. So he got to see the writing earlier than I did. It's almost like there's nothing new under the sun. Self-love is the sole antagonist of virtue, leading us constantly by our properties to self-gratification and violation of our moral duties to others. Accordingly, it is against this enemy that they are erected the batteries of moralists and religionists as the only obstacle to the practice of morality. Take from man his selfish propensities, and he could have nothing to seduce him from the practice of virtue, or subdue those propensities by education, instruction, or restraint, and virtue remains without a competitor. Thomas Jefferson to Thomas Law, 1814. This is a younger relative of his. So what is Thomas Jefferson saying here? He's saying we're all selfish, self-interest. We put ourselves above everything else. That's the original sin, pride and arrogance. And he says, according against it, all the batteries are erected, moralists and religionists. In other words, those who argue for virtue, the Greek philosophers, in most religions, that stands in the way of us following our own desires. Those are the only obstacles to the practice of morality is self-law, love. So you take the selfish propensities away from us, and he's thinking pure reason will get you to practice pure virtue. That's stoicism right there, folks. That is straight-up stoicism. We've covered that already, but he's not necessarily wrong. Remember, more Stoics will find the Messiah, will find Jesus, than Epicureans. So if, if Jefferson said he's an Epicurean and thinks he's an Epicurean, that might have been what was getting in his way, because that's licentiousness. Education. It says that the objects of primary education, which determine its character and limits, are to give to every citizen the information he needs for the transaction of his own businesses or his own business, to enable him to calculate for himself and to express and preserve his ideas, his contracts and accounts in writing, to improve by reading his morals and faculties, to understand his duties to his neighbors and country, and to discharge with competence the functions confined to him by either, to know his rights, to exercise with order and justice those he retains, to choose with discretion the fiduciary of those he delegates, and to notice their conduct with diligence, with candor and judgment, and in general to observe with intelligence and faithfulness all the social relations under which he shall be placed. Reports for the University of Virginia, 1818. So what's he talking about here? This one's a little complicated. What Jefferson is basically telling you is the duty of public education is to teach you how to read and write and do basic math, to teach you the history of this country and the history of this country's ideas of right and wrong. Well, elsewhere in his writings, he says that this country was established on Judeo-Christian uh, principles. That's our ideas of right and wrong. And he specifically says that although the federal government is not going to establish a religion, they encourage, the federalists encourage each denomination to set up their own churches to teach their people in university the teachings and tenets of their religions. So he's encouraging public education, public religious education. And oh boy, when we get to religion, hold on, boys and girls. <laughs> You're going to meet a different Jefferson than you've always been told exists. But right here, he's in favor of public education. There's several pages of that in your class notes. And oh boy, do I have a problem with some of his ideas. But at the same time, he wants to teach you to think for yourself. 
That's what he's pushing. We don't do that in public education anymore. The constitution of most of our states asserts that all power is inherent in the people, that they may exercise it by themselves in all cases to which they think themselves competent, or they may act by representatives freely and equally chosen, that it is in their right and duty to be at all times armed, that they are entitled to freedom of person, freedom of religion, freedom of property, and freedom of the press. Jefferson, letter to John Cartwright, 1824. And now I know how I got that one quote out of step with liberty. This one belonged in liberty. The other one in liberty belonged in education. I apologize. I got them flipped. But notice what he says here. It is their right and duty to be at all times armed. Now, he doesn't necessarily mean walking around all day long with your weapon. He means that you're supposed to be armed from day to day, week to week. You're supposed to have, at least have an armory where the people keep their weapons. You are entitled to freedom of person and freedom of religion and freedom of property and freedom of press. Right and duty. That's not the military, folks. That's the militia. Okay. Duty. He writes a ton on this. There are a lot of comments in your class notes on this one. But I just chose this, and I think one more. He says, it's the duty of every citizen to use all the opportunities which occur to him for preserving the documents related to the history of our country. Not just the founding, but the whole country, the whole history. This is a letter to Hugh P. Taylor, October 4th, 1823. In other words, preserve the original source documentation of this country so that the historians cannot pervert or erase our history and turn our children into haters of this nation based on their lies, which is exactly what we've done. That's why they want to cancel our history, tear down the statues. That's because they were taught lies about those statues. They want to take down the Jefferson Monument or Memorial in Washington, D.C. because they think, oh, he's just nothing but a slave owner. Y'all should read. That's another thing that the, the, the book that David Barton does. Go over the history of how many times Jefferson tried to free his slaves and couldn't because of the law. What? Yes. Has any progressive ever told you about that? So Jefferson died poor. Well, yeah, it's because he couldn't manage it. No, no, no. He managed his funds just properly. You know why he died poor? So that he could support his slaves in a decent manner of living. And when they were freed, when he died, what did they do? Oh, they all scattered to the winds because they had that. No, they didn't. They stayed on Monticello. They loved Jefferson. What? Oh, yes, it's in their writing. His quote-unquote slaves loved him. You might want to read into the man, find out exactly who he was. Not perfect. Don't get me wrong. He had a lot of things I don't like about him. I've already told you that. But on the whole... Great man. Tyranny. It is inconsistent with the principles of civil liberty and contrary to the natural rights of other members of society that any body of men therein should have authority to enlarge their own powers, prerogatives, or emoluments without restraint. Virginia Allowance Bill 1778, like our Congress does now. They, they enlarge their powers all the time by just creating another bureaucracy. The Constitution and the enumerated powers do not allow them to create a bureaucracy or to defer their authority to another governing body. Every time Congress creates another bureaucracy, they stick it underneath the executive. 
So what you have is a legislative body under the executive. And both are controlled by the courts telling them what they can and can't do. You have an oligarchy, folks. The oligarchy is whoever controls the Congress. So you got the Speaker and the, the, the President of the Senate. Those two people. The President and the, the, the Chief Justice. Those four people control this country. They do. Anyway, let's not worry about that. You know, who cares? Jefferson says, sometimes it is said that a man cannot be trusted with government of himself. Can he then be trusted with the government of others? Or have we found angels in the forms of kings to govern him? Let history answer this question. First inaugural address, March 4th, 1801. Gee, is he quoting Adams there? Seems to be. Or maybe... Adams and Jefferson are both quoting human nature. That would be a biblical way of looking at man because the progressives think man can perfect himself and make himself perfect and make himself an angel. And the Epicureans and the Stoics think so too. So that right there, folks, that's a biblical teaching. Don't tell the progressives. When all government, domestic and foreign, in little as in great things, shall be drawn to Washington as the center of all power, it will render powerless the checks provided of one government over another. Thomas Jefferson, letter to Charles Hammond, Hammond August 18, 1821. This has already happened. Where I live in the northwest part of Florida, we have voted to go off a of daylight savings time several times, and the federal government keeps telling us, nope, can't do it. What power under the enumerated powers does Congress have or the D.C. have to tell our governor and our people in this state, we can't do that. None. But they claim it under the Interstate Commerce Clause. And I want to know what money is tied to that that's stopping us from That's exactly that. it. They're, they're not giving the, the state money in response to this. That's how they enforce it. Jefferson would have had a conniption cow over that. That alone in the founding age could have been enough to start a conflict between the states and the federal government. But it could have. That back then they were principled people. We are not. The states can be best govern our. The states can best govern our home concerns and the general government our foreign ones. I wish, therefore, never to see all offices transferred to Washington, where, further withdrawn from the eyes of the people, they may secure may more secretly be bought and sold at market. Thomas Jefferson, letter to Judge William Johnson, June twelfth, eighteen twenty three. In other words, what he's saying is, what has happened now? What is happened is. They're all corrupt. They're all bought. They're all bought by different campaign contributions, whatever else. But they still, they govern state affairs from D.C. as well as national, you know, foreign. They govern things that they have. They've usurped rights and powers and authorities they don't have. Again, Jefferson's a prophet simply because he pays attention to human nature. Here's going to be my favorite part for this. Let's see how many of y'all are surprised by any of this. Now, there's no date on this. Because this is an observation of what he did, but it does contain a quote from his hand. It says, remember, Jefferson first used those words in that personal letter on January 1st, 1802, while he was president. And this is about, um, this is taken from section talking about separation of church and state. This is about Danbury Baptist Church. On December 3rd, 1803, nearly two years after he wrote that letter, President Jefferson, as an official presidential act, ordered the extension of the 1787 Act of Congress that designated areas of federal land to, quote, for the sole use of Christian Indians 
and the Morvanian Brethren Missionaries for the Civilization of the Indians and Promoting Christianity. Where's the separation of church and state there, folks? This is something Jefferson ordered and signed. He says, that's right. The actual language that Jefferson ordered to take place was promoting Christianity by the federal government. He ordered the same governmental promotion of Christianity to the Wydot Indians in 1806 and even again in 1807 to the Cherokee Indians. And one of his Bibles, because you know, the Jefferson Bible, which one? You'll find out about that in this book too. There are three, at least, that we know of. One of them was meant to evangelize the Indians, the Native Americans. He put it together to teach the gospel to the Native Americans. I thought he wasn't a Christian. How many atheists do you know run around teaching the gospel to other people? How many deists do you know even accept the gospel, let alone run around teaching it to other people? How many Jews do you know run around teaching the gospel to other people? Last I looked, the only people who spread the gospel of Jesus are Christians. And he did this as president. Is that a Jefferson any of you knew? Sincere question. You don't have to answer it to me. Ask yourself, did you know this? I did. Nothing special about me. I just read more than most people. That's all. Most of y'all have a life. You got social things going on, man. You got family and friends. Me, it's just me and my books. So, you know, I'm not trying to say I'm all that in a bag of chips. No, no, no. Don't, don't get me wrong. Yes. <laughs> I'm an antisocial individual. Almighty God has created the mind free and man. Who? Almighty God has created the mind of man free and his supreme will that free it shall remain by making it altogether insusceptible of restraint. All attempts to influence it by temporal punishment or burdens or by civil incapacitations tend only to beget habits of hypocrisy and meanness and are a departure from the plan of the holy author of our religion who, being Lord of body and mind, yet chose not to propagate it by coercion on either as was his almighty power to do, but to extend it by influence on reason alone. Thomas Jefferson, Bill for Establishing Religious Freedom, 1779. What in the heck did he just say? Same thing I've been telling you for a long time. I did not know about this quote until last night when I was looking up some. I did not know about this one. The one thing in the Bible that Yahweh... God of the Bible does not demand from you is your free will. He will not take that from you. So if you go to hell, that was your doing, not his. Gee, I'm working on a sermon just about that topic right now. And this is what Jefferson is saying here. Let me blow that back up for you. He is saying that the author of our religion, who being Lord of body and mind, in other words, he could have done this, yet chose not to propagate it by coercion on either. In other words, I did not, God did not force his will on us. It was his almighty power to do that. He could have, but he extended it by influence of reason alone. That's not in the Bible, Joe. It's faith and faith alone. Have you read Isaiah lately? I think it's Isaiah chapter one, verse 18, where he tells Isaiah, come Isaiah, let's reason together. And the Bible constantly tells you to discipline yourself. Your mind tells you discipline. That's reason. Tells you to be, especially the Old Testament tells you to be rational, 
to reason, to think, to seek wisdom, to seek wisdom, reason. Jefferson nails it. Now, where do you think he got that thinking from? He sat in the pul- you know, in the pews and listened to the pulpit every Sunday. Even if he had to ride four hours one way through the snow. Here's another comment. Reading, reflection, and time have convinced me that the interests of society require the observation of those moral precepts in which all religions agree. Thomas Jefferson, Westmoreland County, Petition, November 2, 1785. What would that be? That's all religions, Joe. Yes. This is essentially the Ten Commandments. Mahatmanism even agrees on some of this, if you're a Muslim. So basically what he's saying here is he believes in those precepts and then that in society are just dependent on them. This is Romans 1 and 2 again. It's not as clear here, but that's what it is. He says, believing with you that religion is a matter which lies solely between man and his God, that he owes account to no one other for his faith or his worship, that the legislative powers of government reach actions only and not opinions, I contemplate with sovereign reverence that the act of which a whole American people, which declare their legislature should make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, thus building a wall of separation between church and state. Thomas Jefferson, letter to the Committee of Danbury Baptist Association, Connecticut, January 1st, 1802. And there it is. In other words, your religion is a matter between you and your creator. Nobody has a right to interfere with it. If you want to bring your religion into your daily life as a representative of the country, you should be allowed to do so. That's what he's saying. He's not saying that you cannot bring religion into the federal government. He's saying the federal government has absolutely no business talking to you about your religion at all. In other words, the court, and the court knew this, the Supreme Court learned people, they knew what Jefferson was saying. They lied about him. They bore false witness about what he was right. And this letter should have never even been used in the deliberation of their case. Don't forget, that court was progressive in nature. Progressives and deception, that kind of goes hand in, you know, father of deception and lies. That's the heart of the progressive ideology. But Jefferson has it nailed here. Then he says, this is another one that'll sound familiar, but this is a second letter written 10-something, 15 years later. It says, reading, reflection, and time have convinced me that the interests of society require the observation of those moral precepts only in which all religions agree, for all forbid us to murder, steal, plunder, or bear false witness, and that we should not intermeddle with the particular dogma in which all religions differ and which are totally unconnected with morality. Thomas Jefferson to James Fishback, 1809. So this is an idea that stayed with him through throughout his life. Focus on what the, focus on the central moral. That is Romans 1 and 2. And if your religion differs from mine, outside of these moral precepts, That's your business between you and the creator is what he's saying. And he says, I am a real Christian. That is to say, a disciple of the doctrines of Jesus. Very different from the Platonists who call me infidel and themselves Christians and preachers of the gospel while they draw all their characteristic dogma from what its author never said nor saw. 
they have compounded from the heathen mysteries a system beyond the comprehension of man, of which the greater ref great reformer of the vicious ethics and deism of the Jews, where he return on earth, would not recognize one feature. Thomas Jefferson to Charles Thompson, uh, Charles Thompson Berg, 1816. What did he just say? This one's important. He says, I'm a Christian, a disciple of the doctrines of Jesus. I follow his gospel. He says he's very different from the Platonists, the, the Greek philosophers, the Stoics and, and Epicureans who call him an infidel and themselves Christians. He's talking about Christians who are under the influence of Greek philosophical thinking like Augustine, St. Augustine and um, Calvin, and even to some extent Luther. He says they're preachers of the gospel. They draw all their characteristic dogma from what is from what Jesus never said and never did or saw. They draw it from heathen mysteries. In other words, from paganism. Ooh, Charlie, this quote might start tomorrow for us, where the Christians accuse the Hebrew roots of yeah. being pagan police. Yeah, yeah. Isn't Jefferson yelling at the Christians of his day for having too much paganism in their faith? Yeah, and, that's what and, he's saying right here. And he's showing the Jews too. So to, this, yes. this would be a good quote for tomorrow. Yes, yeah. this is. He says it's this, a system beyond the comprehension of man. Yeah, when, when, when you read this, I was saying, ouch. <laughs> yes, this is vicious. And he says, which the great reformer, he means Jesus, of the vicious ethics and deism of the Jews. Now, he might have some animosity toward Judaism here too, but that's because the Pharisees were teaching an apostate religion. The oral law is not the written law. The Jews do not follow the way any more than the Christians do. And that is exactly what Jefferson is saying right here. So, And I, and I like the last part of it. If he were to return today, he wouldn't recognize one feature of either of it. And he would say, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on earth at all? Remember, the Hebrew idea of faith is trusting obedience to the way. But notice what he started with. I am a real Christian, and that is to say a disciple of the doctrines of Jesus. In other writings that we've read before on this show, he says according to what Jesus actually said, not what others have said he said. But, but I thought Jefferson was a deist. Not according to this. He, and you you have never heard this quote on he, this show before. He, he, he just called himself a Christian. Would a deist call himself a Christian? No, neither would a, okay. neither just, would a just Jew. Checking. Just checking. Neither would a Jew. And neither would a uh, atheist. Jefferson does not help the progressive at all. He's just confused. And he is like me. I'm wrestling with this thing with the Trinity. I don't know what to make of the Trinity entirely either. And Jefferson's got these issues with um, the deity of the Messiah. I thought he was a man. How could he be a man? See, Jefferson lives in a time of the, of the, you know, the Renaissance, the great, you know, Reason, age of reason. Well, how can God become a man? Well, this is the stoicism in Jefferson. He inherited it as part of the Western civilization. Brilliant man. But he's got a foot in both worlds. He knows and understands and accepts the Bible, but at the same time, he's trying to rationalize the Bible. The problem was Jefferson lived in a Greek Western world. Christian but Hellenized. He, from all I've, I've done, he taught himself to read Hebrew and Greek. He did, but that doesn't mean he learned the cultures. 
And from everything I've studied on Jefferson, that's the key. Had he understood the culture, he might have got closer to where he should have been. I still don't know to this day whether or not I'll, you know, if I if I ever make it to heaven. I doubt I will, but if I make it into the kingdom, I'm not going to be surprised to find Jefferson and Franklin both there, to be honest with you. Here's another quote from Jefferson. The doctrines of Jesus are simple and tend all to the happiness of man, that there is only one God and he is all perfect, that there is a future state of rewards and punishment, that to love God with all your, all your heart and all and your neighbor as yourself is the sum of religion. Had the doctrines of Jesus been preached always as pure as they came from his lips, the whole civilized world would now be Christian. Thomas Jefferson to Dr. Benjamin Waterhouse, 1822. He dies just a few years later, folks. That's Jefferson. Folks, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. And if everybody had stuck to the gospel, the whole world would be Christian. How do you rationalize this against everything that you were taught about Jefferson? This is Jefferson's writing. Writings of Thomas Jefferson, edited by Albert Ellenberg, 20 volumes, Washington, the Thomas Jefferson Memorial Association, 1907, Memorial Edition, volume 15, page 383. The whole letter to Dr. Benjamin Waterhouse is there. What do you make of that, Charlie? Is this the Jefferson you were taught in school? Uh, no. This man's a Christian. Yeah. He might be mistaken about exactly who Christ is and how to understand him. But if I remember right, Jesus said that all sins against the Son of Man can be forgiven. Yeah. But not against the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit says you reject Jesus as the Messiah and the teacher of the law. Teacher of Torah. You know, the Gospels. Yeah. Well, it looks to me like Jefferson accepted that. Yeah, and I can understand it. You know, I still struggle with trying to understand the, you know, the Trinity or whatever you want to call it and how all this works together. I don't understand all that, but that doesn't necessarily. Mean but I think I'm this is, I think he dies, or... I think he dies in 1824, 1826, somewhere. In, I think it's 1824. And if I'm right, if I remember right, this is two years or so before he dies. How is this man? A deist. Uh-huh. Yeah, oh, come on, man. That was just a dying man's crazy babblings. Thing is, he's not dying yet. He's still sound mind and body here at this point in his life. I, I, I don't know what to do with this, folks. I don't. This is not what we were taught. Also, he, he whoops, I had that up there. He says, I consider ethics as well as religion a supplement to law in the government of man. It's a letter to August B. Woodward, 1824. It's a supplement. In other words, it's to be used in the law of man. It's been used to guide, to teach us. And that's where I ended this. So we'll take that out of there. Yes, AI? Do you think it would be fairly accurate to say that Jefferson was wrestling with God? Yes. Like between God and Stoicism? It's yes. like he was trying to, yeah. Yep. I just kind of noticed that. He was trying to wrap his poor little brain around those teachings in the scriptures. Yes. One of his, one of the Jefferson Bibles, what he did is he cut out what he thought of were the miracles of Christ 
and he left just the moral teachings. And he used that as a morality book. So, like I said, he was he's he's suffering with, you know, the 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 magic side where people think miracles, the supernatural. He, he had a problem with that. It's the way his brain worked. But that doesn't mean that he had a problem with the basic tenets of the. Look what he just said. Pure religion is, and folks, that last quote from Jefferson is almost. It's it's a paraphrase of exactly what Ben Franklin said as well. There's a God. He'll judge you for what you do. The best way to serve him is to serve others. Treat others as you treat yourself. How are either of those men deists? Quite simply, folks, we have been lied to by our educators. Now, the question is, was it by accident? Because they were taught lies and they believed them and didn't test them. In which case, they're not innocent. If you're going to be an educator, you have a duty to make sure what you're teaching others can be backed up and supported. Or did those educators teach us intentionally wrong? I think the answer to that is going to be yes in both cases. We're going to have some who just didn't do their due diligence to check what they were taught. And we're going to have some that knew better and did it anyway. In both cases, evil. In my opinion. And I mean evil. Because you're teaching people to hate their country and the ideas in, in the times in which it was constructed and the purpose for which it was constructed and how and why these men did the things they did. And I, I have no, there's no excuse for that in my book. Now, real quick, I just want to go over this. This is your homework. This is where he writes about inalienable rights. Now I'm off here where I'm looking, I can scroll faster. Then section three is about moral principles. And I'm just going to go through the sections on the left here where I see the lines uh, I think I see them. I'm having a hard time with this because it's real small, but let's see. There's moral consequences, national moral responsibility. Here's one on moral degeneracy. And th- folks, this is long. Here's one, the sovereignty of the people. Th- this this PDF I gave you, there is a ton of really cool stuff in here, but this man can be hard to read sometimes. He's re- using language, quite frankly, over our heads today that most of us can read. The safest depository, this is of liberty and the bulwarks to protect us. This one here is the Republican principles of good government. And if I keep going down, you see me on, okay, and then this one's going to be majority rule on democracy. And you're going to find that there's some self-contradictory things going on there. Here's some thoughts on self-government. And off to the left is where you see how many pages are in between. Here's one on what good government is. And off the left, you see I scroll down three, four, five, six, seven, eight pages. And now we're going to have governed by reason, which he's really into that. So there I'm expecting, yep. And here we're going to have difference of opinions, how you deal with that. And we're going to keep scrolling. Oh, wow. He wrote a lot on that one. Now we're going to have constitution, state and federal. And we keep on going. Then you're going to have the bill of rights. He was one of the ones who helped push that, folks. You're going to find here several of these things. You're going to see where I've highlighted them in red in different colors because that's called my attention to it. This is a personal document I made for you. Amending the Constitution, how to go about doing that. And he addresses why it's so slow. Interpreting the Constitution, how to do it, how he does it, why he argues for the way he interprets the Constitution. You're going to go over judicial review. Oh, my gosh. Does he, like I said, you're going to see I bleed red all over this stuff. Separation of powers, both federal and state separations. 
and there's going to be against consolidation of government. He's definitely against that. You're going to have a section on the separation of powers, legislative and executive. Folks, we're at 147 pages of 365. It goes on and on and on and on. It goes over taxes. Goes, If you want it, it's there. Download it. Stick it on your computer someday. You might want to read through it. Sailor Sun 66 says we could actually use the Declaration of Independence against our own government, federal or state. Yes, we could. It would, um, and you wouldn't have to edit it very much either. Most of the complaints in the center body of that document apply today, just in a different, it's the same ice, it's ice cream. We've just changed flavors. We're not even talking about gelato or, or sherbet or, or yogurt. We're talking about ice cream. They've just changed the flavor and said, see, it's something different. No, it isn't. It's, you know, well, we can fly over your property and look at the drone because we don't need a search warrant for that. Yes, actually you do. Cause I own the airspace above my property. It's still private too. Well, we've, the, the judge said no. Yeah, right. See, that's what Jefferson was talking about. The judge just made a law, amended the constitution with a ruling that now becomes starry decisis. That's got nothing to do with law, no law whatsoever. And now it's part of the law when it shouldn't be. Jefferson was right about that. And, and that's how we judge our judges. We'll go, hey, don't ask that Supreme Court justice about interpreting the Constitution. Ask them whether or not they're going to uphold stare decisis. Now you know exactly what that's about. Are you going to uphold the rule of the judges rather than the Constitution? If not, we don't want you. Now, folks, when you hear that, now you know what that really means. And they can say this language out in the open. And everybody in that room knows what they're talking about. But you and I, on the other end of the TV screen, we don't. By in part, large in part, the American people don't understand what's going on because they're not speaking plainly and clearly like Jefferson said they should. So there's a lot about Thomas Jefferson that I love. There's some things in there I'm confused with and I don't know what to do with. There's some other things in there I'm like, dude, what were you thinking, man? But then again, Jefferson does, does say that one of his favorite pastimes was to smoke hemp and sit on the back porch and look at the world. So maybe, may, nope, seriously, that's in the, go, go find it. It's in, your, it's in your class notes. It's in there. There's a quote in there about that. So maybe what you've encountered in some of these writings is Jefferson under the influence of weed. And he liked his wine too. So what if he's drinking hemp and, and drinking wine and smoking hemp that day? Yeah, I'm liking him more and more. John Quest says that's new to me. Folks, it's true. He even says he liked to drink and smoke his marijuana and he liked to drink his wine, man. He dude could be drunk, buzzed, and bombed at the same time <laughs> in writing about things. You know, I don't know. Might be when he wrote his best stuff for all we know. Who knows? But he says he liked to sit on the back porch and do that, you know, and look at the world. So <laughs> I'm really liking Jefferson. <laughs> you got to get to know the man. It, and he was a bit of a dandy. Um, you see some of the pictures. That it, it Also, if you see some of these pictures, you're going to see a lot of the uh, founding fathers in high heel shoes. Ladies, high heels were originally designed for men. Women didn't wear them. That's, that's a relatively modern thing where we started sticking y'all in the high heels. That came with the women's lib movement and everything. You know, back in the, that's a progressive thing you know, where we start putting you in heels that, that, cause go look at the pictures of the flappers. Most of the flappers are in flats. Flats are real low heels or wedges heels, you know, wooden heels or whatever. That's cause you'll, you'll find a lot of pictures of Jefferson. He used to wear 
pretty good size heels on his shoes. You'll find a lot of that in the in the older time pictures and paintings of you know the founders and people from back in that age, the Victorian age. But there are pictures of him, oh boy, dressed up in a dandy, lots of frilly and lace and stuff, whatever. He's got this one blue suit when he was ambassador to France that, man, if he was wearing that today, let's just say the English would call him a poof. <laughs> I got to use code here. I'll get banned off of Facebook, which, by the way, I really wouldn't care about. You mean making leisure suits look good? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's put it this way the only man that i know in the united states that could dress the way jefferson did and pull it off is johnny depp and then it would only happen if he had dreadlocks in his hair and his pirate hat on <laughs> so. but why is the rum gone yeah but why is the rum the rum is gone why is the rum gone <laughs> sea turtles mate <laughs> oh no, um, Ar Arctic tortoise. If you're inferring that Jefferson was a poof up close, no, 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 no. He was too much of a prude to do that. Um, you read into his personal life. Jefferson was today. We'd call him an uptight little, you know, prude. Um, you know, sailor son. Gunny almost came out in me, man. I almost explained in a military way. Can't do that. Um, <laughs> I don't know a way to explain it to you. Um, uh, very, very, very strict in his morality. It, it's self-imposed very much. So, um, he was not Franklin. <laughs> so, you know, he might've been a bit of a ladies man, but I don't think he indulged. I think he just liked the attention, but I could be wrong. If so, he managed to keep it a secret when others couldn't. Because, folks, if you think they didn't gossip back then, <laughs> read some old letters. <laughs> All right. That's going to wrap us for today. Um, hopefully, I at least shared parts of Thomas Jefferson with you that you didn't, weren't aware of or didn't know about before. Hopefully, you learned something today. The man is not who we're taught. He, he was not who we're taught today he is. Much more complicated, much more nuanced. Um, at times, takes both sides of every issue. Other times, there's certain things that he was staunch about from beginning to end of life. As for his religious beliefs, one of the biggest reasons we don't know is he wrote very few comments about what he really believed. And we read one of those today. He says, hey, that's my personal business. But we have read other quotes in here. He's, you know, quote to him, he said, since you've inquired about my religious belief, we've read that quote before in the past. Nothing you saw today is a duplicate. You have never seen any of these quotes by Jefferson before. I intentionally did that. Uh, we could do another Jefferson show in which I could give you an entire two more hours of Jefferson and you'd never see another duplicate. You've seen the show notes. We could go on forever. So, yeah. When I tell you that the founding fathers wrote voluminously and that they all tend to be lockstep with the certain things, I'm not lying to you. And I highly encourage you to go try and prove me wrong because it'll be one of the best ways for you to learn the truth. Just don't go read the historians. Read the letters that the founders actually wrote and make sure you've found it in full context because there's a letter that Adams writes to Jefferson that our progressive friends love to quote out of context. They read one line and they won't give you the one that comes four sentences later that negates it and tells you he actually means the opposite of what he's saying. Very Hebrew way of talking too, by the way. Anyhow, 
Um, we love each and every one of you. We hope we're helping and serving you. If you like what we've done today, if you liked the show, if you learned anything, please give us a thumbs up or a like button. That talks to Charlie and to Natasha and I. And frankly, our AI likes to be pet because, you know, she's part furry. So when you scratch her ears with the no. thumbs up button, she purrs. No. See, that's stop purring that. right there. That's that's purring. That's not purring. That's me saying, no, stop that. Right. And if you're a cat, that's purring. That's that's what cat the cats always tell you no, and they, they mean yes. She'll never And learn. you're female too, which means no means yes. A female cat. See, she's asking y'all to scratch her ears with the like button so she can purr some more. I'm I'm just gonna say this is for y'all. That that yeah. You're still not donuts. I'll give you that much. <laughs> if you care to, please share the show with your friends and family if you think will help. Warn them about me, especially if I'm on donuts. <laughs> it's not an act, folks. I get a sugar high and I get a little wacky. It's true. It's not a joke. <laughs> <laughs> so and uh just warn them about me in whichever way you want to please send the link directly to them if you just share it on facebook it's liable to be way down in their feed and they'll never see it we are being throttled we know this is a fact we're getting all sorts of nice little emails warning us about how we're going to reach the next level of observation and we're going to have draw more attention from people who are going to try and cause us trouble yeah we're we're getting attention we got people trying to slow us down a bit but we see the numbers and we're slowly gaining a little bit of traction um things are getting better um we could use your help with that please you know spread the word if we're doing anything that you find valuable tell others give us a chance and just ask them please give the show several days um one show might be boring to somebody the other one might not whatever but each show builds on itself we're trying to teach people how to think and how to expand their view and understanding of the world that takes time we're trying to teach you things that you should have been taught from first to eighth grade trying to go back and do what your teacher should have done for you or trying to do that for you for free so maybe if you have a few extra dollars go to the donut page you know the rest of the world calls that a donate page and sign up to give us a reoccurring donation every month we ask you for a cup of coffee five bucks you know starbucks coffee but yeah but you need to ask for a hundred yes that's right no four hundred According to the progressives, I got to ask for 400 so that you'll give me 143 instead. If you don't know what we're talking about, you've missed a class. See, we build on itself. Got to be here. That's that's going over nudge, the book nudge, nudge theory. Go back in class. You'll find that one. You can review it, and we will explain to you why certain things happen on your TV the way they do. It's a scientific process to control you without you knowing you've even been controlled. And we call it a nudge until we have to shove you. And then when you won't let us shove you, then we shoot you. No, they don't. Oh, you better watch the show. <laughs> We've done this before. The government has never put people in concentration camps. Do you know what a reservation is? Do you know what happened to the Japanese in World War II? Do you know what happened to the Germans under Woodrow freaking Wilson? Don't tell me they've never done it. They've been doing it since the establishment of this country. They'll do it again. <laughs> FEMA! <coughs> <laughs> furball! That's what she said! Didn't you hear that, Charlie? She said furball! See, y'all did not give it. us... You didn't give us enough thumbs up and likes. Yeah, the I cat has got a furball. 
<laughs> She's never going to learn. China. All right, folks. Gosh. We'll see y'all tomorrow. Y'all take care. Stay safe. Bye-bye. Well, if you want me to just say FEMA, 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 just let me know, and then we can go off the air because whoever will throttle us. But whatever. You've already said it, and I didn't even have to ask. Oh, I'm good. <laughs> Bye-bye, guys. We'll see you later. Charlie, we're out of here. <laughs>